0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the fourth Sunday of Misra. Misra is the second to last month of the Coptic year. The, the following month is called Nesi, which is the shortest month of the year. It's only five days long. And Nessi in Arabic means like the forgotten, like you forgot about this month. Always toward the end of the Coptic year, all of the readings are speaking about the end of the world and the watchfulness that we should have as this time approaches. So just like as the year is ending, it's kind of like symbolically as though that the world is going to end and all the readings are related to the end of the world. Um, We read today in Mark chapter 13, it says, Take heed that no one deceives you, which is one of the landmarks of Um, when the scripture speaks about the end of the world, it speaks about there's a lot of deceptions that are going to happen, that the devil is going to be working over time to deceive the believers, to make them not watchful, to make them not alert, to make them lax and lazy and not paying attention to the time or to the signs, so that we continue to live our life kind of aimlessly or pointlessly or for our own pleasures or for our own uh, you know, things that we, that we want, our own goals, so that one, the time that the, that the end comes, we are unprepared and unready for this time. So he speaks about many different deceptions that are going to happen and as though we are not worried or concerned at all about it. So um, I'm going to speak briefly about what are some of the des- deceivers of mankind? What are some of the things that cause us to be deceived? And we're going to speak about them from the least deceptive to the most deceptive. We're going to start with the least deceptive. The least deceptive, which maybe is counterintuitive, is Satan himself. Satan himself. We read about him in Genesis 3 verse 5 when he is tempting Eve and deceiving her. And he says, For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. How did he convince her to eat of the forbidden fruit? He told her that it is going to be good for her and that she will be like God, which is something actually that she wanted. And we read in James chapter one about temptation and how is it that the devil is able to achieve uh, our fall for us to fall. It says each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. So you see what the devil does is he takes something that is already corrupted in us, maybe a wrong desire that we have, and he uses it against us. He uses our weakness against us. For instance, in the case of Eve, He he used her desire to become like God to tempt her to eat the forbidden fruit. If she didn't have this desire inside of her to be like God, then when he comes to her and says, if you eat of this fruit, you will be like God, well, it wouldn't be very attractive. In fact, she would say, no, God said that if we eat of this fruit, we will die. I don't want to touch it. I want to eat it. Okay. For instance, in the example of Esau, you know, Esau is the brother of Jacob who was supposed to be the one with the birthright, the one to whom were all the blessings were going to be given. And yet he sold his birthright to his brother Jacob for what? For a meal of stew, right? His desire was his flesh, his desire was you know, his hunger. He wanted to satisfy his stomach. So he said, I will, I will give up all the, sacri- all the blessings of God. I will give up being the, the firstborn son. I will give up that the Messiah is going to come through my lineage, all because I want to eat stew. It was a desire inside of him that then caused him to be deceived. Um, Samson, for instance, when Delilah, his lover, kept asking him, tell me the secret of your strength, the reason he gave in and he told her that it was because of his long hair was because he had a desire for her, and he didn't want to. Um, he didn't want to give her. He wanted to give her what she was asking. Um, even for us, for instance, when we have pride, the devil uses this pride and tempts us not to forgive our neighbor, or he uses our ignorance to keep us from recognizing his attacks. In every way, the devil uses a weakness that is in us or a wrong desire that is in us to lead us in the wrong way. He t- paints the world in a way that it is not. He sh- makes us to see the world in a way that is false. It is not the, the right way. And if all we are doing is seeking pleasure and seeking something wrong, then he is going to capitalize on this and find what is it, our weakness, and he's going to use it against us. So this is how he is so successful. And this is how he deceives us. Because he, he offers us the thing that we want the most, but we have to it, we destroy our life to get it. You know, he says, this is what you want, I will offer it to you. But in order for you to get this, you have to go down this road, this path that is going to destroy you, that is going to ruin your life. We see Eve's life, Esau's life, Samson's life, all of them, they were destroyed simply because they went after the desires that they had been offered by the devil. So he is the first deceiver, the devil. The second deceiver are other people, other people that will deceive us. Speaking about these um, deceivers, uh, it says in Psalm 5 verse 9, not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with destruction. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongue, they speak deceit. And we all have to admit that we are very much influenced by other people. This is why the company that we keep is so important. The people that are around me almost define for me the standard of right and wrong. Because the people that I am the most comfortable with, the people that I spend most of my time with, I end up being comfortable doing the same things that that they do. We convince ourselves that this is the right approach. And so when we are, you know, so involved in the society and we are so entrenched in it, we have to be very careful not to allow this world to define for us what is right and wrong. Anyone who watches the media, anyone who reads about um, different philosophies or religions, when we see the way that people are living their lives and celebrities and other people, these are people that are idolized by society. And maybe a lot of us or our, our youth are also idolizing these people that live in a very sinful lifestyle. And so we idolize sin and we are deceived through these people, not necessarily through their words, because maybe if somebody comes to us and says, uh, you need to live this way, so and so, maybe our radar would kind of like uh, be alert. It's like, no, this doesn't sound right. This doesn't sound like, like a correct thing. But when we watch these people live a certain way, and then we idolize these people and then we begin to naturally think that this lifestyle is okay that this is n- not not wrong and actually uh desirable maybe i want to live like them i want to look like them i want to be everything like them so this deceit is something that is also very powerful and is actually even more powerful than the deception of the devil perhaps because the people around us everywhere maybe the devil uses these people to reach us okay so we shouldn't just believe something because other peoples believe it. We shouldn't just go after something because other people are doing it or be pressured to conform to any standard. Especially as Christians, we are called to live above the world. We are called to live a standard of purity and righteousness that are as above any other standard in the world. So this is the second deceiver is other people. The third deceiver is our own heart. The third deceiver is our own heart. And how do we know that this is the, the most deceptive? In the book of Jeremiah chapter 17, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Right? The heart is the most deceitful out of anything and it is beyond cure. This is how dangerous our own hearts are. This is how easy it is for me to deceive myself. And this self-deception is the worst kind because I don't need other people. I don't need Satan to come and deceive me. I deceive myself right? Because maybe I want to see myself in a certain way. So what are some ways that we can deceive ourselves, okay? What, what ways can we deceive ourselves that we should be mindful of to help detect whenever this is happening? The first is, is I might search for reasons to justify my decisions. There's a story in the book of First Kings about King Ahab, who was a wicked king, and a prophet whose name was Micaiah. This prophet was a righteous prophet, and he would always say the truth he would always tell the king what is it that god is declaring to him but the king he didn't like what micaiah was saying to him okay the king for instance he wanted to go to a war against his enemies And so he would ask the prophets, he would ask them, is God going to be with us in the war? Is God going to grant us victory in the war? And all of the false prophets, they would tell the king, yes, king, God is going to grant you victory. Go to the war and so on. But King Micaiah, uh, the, uh, the prophet Micaiah, he was the only one, the true prophet who knew that if the king went to war, God would not be with him and that the people would lose. So he would tell him honestly, he said, no, don't go to the war because you're going to lose. So King Ahab hated him. He never wanted to speak with him because he says what he always, uh, he always says what I don't like. He says in um, uh, 1 Kings 22, There is still one man, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. So we have to ask ourselves, do we make a decision that we want and then we try to find people around us to justify this decision for us? Do we try to find Bible verses to justify the decision or priests that agree with me in my decision or anyone so I can say in the end that this decision is a right one? Am I trying to, to get guidance to formulate my decision or do I make decision and then I try to find the people that are supporting it? One example for this maybe is like choosing a spouse. Sometimes someone wants to choose a specific person as a spouse and they choose this person and they are convinced that this is the right person for them and no matter what other people might say, they are convinced that this is the right person for them. Even if many people say to them, no, I don't think this is the right person. I, I think this person has certain issue. Don't go with this person. And yet they will keep going until they find one person who maybe agrees with them and say, oh, no, this is fine, you can go ahead. And then this is what will they will use to justify this decision that they have made. Okay? So this is the first way maybe we deceive ourselves as we try to justify our own decisions. The second way that we deceive ourselves is that we blame God and others for my misery. We can blame God and others for my misery. A good example of this is King Saul. King Saul, he was rejected by God as being king because he was wicked. Because it was his own wickedness that caused him to be rejected by God. But King Saul always blamed everything on on David. He said, David is the reason that everything bad is happening to me. He spent his entire life trying to kill David, thinking that David is the reason behind all of his misery and all of his sorrow. We read in 1 Samuel 18, And Saul was still more afraid of David, so Saul became David's enemy continually. He blamed David for his misery. He blamed him for being rejected as king. But the real reason that Saul was rejected was because he was disobedient repeatedly to God, and he had no repentance every time he was confronted by Samuel the prophet, he never repented of his sin. Samuel told him time and time and time again, why are you sinning against the Lord? And King Saul every time justified himself. He never offered any kind of repentance. So the consequences that Saul had was because of his own poor choices, not because of anyone else. So how again, the second way that we deceive ourselves is sometimes we don't take ownership. Of our mistakes of our wrong choices and instead we try to point at other people and say the reason of my misery is actually because of another person it's because of their fault it's not because of me a third way that we deceive ourselves is that our opinion of ourselves is is not based on facts sometimes when we evaluate ourselves we ignore the facts because we don't want to think about ourselves anything negative so I, I, I think of myself only positive things, right? And I, I ignore all of the evidence maybe that maybe my life is going in the wrong direction. Maybe I'm making wrong choices. Maybe I'm not leading the right kind of life. And Psalm 36, it says, There is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes when he finds out his iniquity and when he hates. So maybe we don't want to find out our iniquity. Maybe the last thing we want to do is examine ourselves and find any kind of iniquity in us. Even though this is freeing, even though this is what brings the grace of God, even though this is what brings mercy and forgiveness, and yet I don't want to admit this about myself because it is difficult for me to to think of myself as being a sinner. It's difficult for me to think that I have made mistakes in my life. And it's difficult for me even to repent Because to repent, I have to admit that I have failed and that I have done something wrong. Maybe I don't even feel shame when I sin. Maybe I ignore large areas of my life that I don't want to think about. And I just look at maybe some other positive qualities that I have. So a third way that we deceive ourselves is we don't examine ourselves rightly. We don't examine ourselves with the right standard. Fourth way that we deceive ourselves is that we postpone repentance because we are not ready to change. We oftentimes say, I'm going to do it, but I'm gonna do it later, or I'm gonna do it tomorrow. I'm gonna do it another time. Another another example of this is uh, Felix the governor. When St. Paul was in prison, and Felix the governor was the authority that was in charge of him, he was essentially responsible for him. So he could free him, or he could keep him in prison as he chose. And there were many times where Paul would have conversations with Felix about Christianity and about the truth. And after all these many discourses with him, uh, it says in Acts 24, as Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. Sometimes the truth is not comfortable. And sometimes when we hear the truth, we don't want to admit that it is true. We don't want to accept it and because we're not really ready to change. So either we might reject it completely or even like here in the case of Felix, the governor, he, he knew deep inside himself that what Paul was saying was true. And, and as he accused Felix, Felix accused himself. P- Felix knew in himself that he was living a, the wrong kind of life, but he refused to change. Every time he would hear the words of Paul, he would feel uncomfortable and he would send him away. So we ask ourselves also, this could be an issue that we have whenever I hear the truth, how is it that I respond? Do I acknowledge that this is true and that I need to change? Or do I acknowledge that it's true and I actually say now is the time to change or do I put it off for another day, another week, another year, and so on? This is the fourth way that we might deceive ourselves. A fifth way that we deceive ourselves is that we justify our sins as responses to other people's sins against us or wrongdoing against us. In 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. Sometimes when someone wrongs me, I convince myself that I have a legitimate right to respond to them in the same way that they responded to me or to harm them in some way. When someone harms me, an actual harm, I feel that it is now my right to harm them in return in the same way that they harm me. And I convince myself that this is okay. If somebody lies to me, I can lie to them. If someone curses me, I can curse them. If someone abuses me, I can abuse them. And, and in myself, I defend, defend my actions and say, well, I did not start this. This is the, someone else's responsibility. If they hadn't done whatever they did, then I wouldn't have done what I did. So ultimately they are to blame. But this is not the way that God judges. God does not judge this way. God judges each person. According to the standard that God has given to each one not to whether or not other people have mistreated me or not It is granted and given as Christians that we are going to be mistreated. We're going to be mistreated by family members We're going to be mistreated by friends. We're going to be mistreated by the government We're going to be mistreated by society. We're going to be mistreated in all kinds of ways But just because I am mistreated doesn't give me the right to mistreat in return because otherwise, what difference is, is there between us and anyone else? God is calling us to live at a standard, a higher standard, the standard of the spirit that God has given us, right? What, what, what good is it if I, if I act like the rest of the world? God is saying, no, you are like the, 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 the pinnacle. You, are, you are, should be better than others. You should be the example, that you set the example for others because we have the spirit of God. When we, when we act like the rest of the world, then we make the spirit of God like a common thing. Like what is the benefit of having the spirit of God? If we talk like everyone and we act like everyone, do everything like everyone else, then of what purpose do I have the spirit of God? In what way can I demonstrate the real existence of God, the real power of God, except in the transformation that happens in me and that how we live ab- above, above this. The last way that maybe is a kind of a self-deception that we fall into is that we use smooth words or euphemistic words to describe sinful acts. For instance, there's certain things that are sinful, but we labor label them differently. For instance, we might label fornication as entertainment. right? We might we might say that a certain lie is a white lie. We excuse it, right? It's not it's not really, it's not really something that we need to be very worried about. It's like a different standard of sin that we have called it. It's a sin that's not really as, as bad as others. Okay? If we um, go back to the story of King Ahab and Micaiah, okay? when when there is another servant that was speaking to Micaiah the prophet, and he was telling him, you need to go and tell the king whatever it is that he wants to hear. Right? But he didn't go and tell him, you need to go lie to the king and tell him that you're gonna be successful in the war even though you're not going to be successful, this is what it says in 1 Kings 22, as the servant is speaking to the prophet. He's saying, please let your word be like the word of one of them, speaking about the other false prophets, and speak encouragement, right? So this servant, instead of calling it a lie, that you're going to be lying to the king and lying against God, He says, well, just speak encouragement. We're going to take this lie and we're going to label it in a different word to justify it, to make it sound nice, to make it sound, you know, uh, something that, that, that wouldn't be as offensive to me. That I say, I'm just speaking encouragement. This is encouragement. Even though it's a lie, that's really what it is. But it is actually encouragement. Saying encouragement sounds much nicer, makes me feel better about myself, makes the whole situation feel like it's justified. I'm just encouraging, even though it's completely a lie. And the reason that I'm lying is to save myself. The reason that I'm lying is because I know that if I say the truth, then I'm going to be you know, harmed in some way. The king is going to be offended by me if I say the truth, so I will avoid saying the truth. Sometimes we are in situations like this where we know that if we say the truth, we're gonna, there's going to be some kind of harm that's inflicted on us, whether it's from something that's our fault or not, right? But God is saying, well, just say the truth. Say the truth. Let God figure out the consequences and what's going to happen. So you say the truth. So sometimes I deceive myself by using these smooth words to describe sinful acts. So these are the six ways that we said that we deceive ourselves. So what are the three deceivers? The first one is Satan. The second deceiver is other people and the third deceiver is myself and 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 the heart is the, the greatest deceiver of all The greatest deceiver of all and we spoke about the six ways that we deceive ourselves The first one is that we search for reasons to justify our decisions The second way we deceive ourselves is we blame God and others for our misery Third is maybe our opinion of ourselves is not based on facts Four, we postpone repentance because we are not ready to change. Five, we justify our sins as responses to other people's wrongs. And six, we use smooth words to describe sinful acts. So as this Coptic year is ending, and as we are being reminded in all of the readings of the church that we should be watchful and prepared and alert for the end of the world, we should also be aware that especially during this time, the devil is going to be on overdrive trying to deceive us. Whether it be directly, whether it be through other people, whether it be through our own heart, in whichever way we 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 are being attacked with these deceptions. So we have to open our eyes and be very mindful and watchful. How am I being deceived and how should I live my life in a way to overcome these deceptions? In the end, all God is asking us to do is to repent. He's saying, just come to me and repent. Maybe we are very weak. Maybe maybe it's difficult for us to actually stop sin, sinning. Actually, we all struggle with sin. right? God is not coming to say, you must stop sinning in order to have salvation. It's not what he's saying. He's saying, you must repent. Acknowledge sin. Acknowledge who we are. Acknowledge the truth. And don't try to hide it. Don't deceive yourself or be deceived. And then come for repentance and you will be forgiven. May God grant us this desire for repentance and to open our eyes and see ourselves clearly. And glory be to God forever. Amen.